0: So, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 5, verse 7. It says this, Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. This is God's inerrant, infallible, and all-sufficient word. Let's pray. Father, as we read your word this morning, and consider what it has to say to us, Lord, would you empower me to speak your word, Lord? Would you fill up all of my inadequacies to do this great work that you've called me to do this morning? Would you encourage us where we need encouragement in this truth? Would you convict us where we need conviction? Would you help us to understand the great mercy you've had for us and how it should lead to us having mercy towards others? We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Our main idea this morning is this. True disciples show mercy. Because they know mercy. I'll say it again, and that one rhymes, which is a new thing. I don't normally do all that. But true disciples, they show mercy because they know mercy. We've been going through the Beatitudes, which are descriptors of those who have been blessed by God with salvation. This is not saying, hey, go and do these things. If we are truly Christians, we should do these things. We will have already done them. We will be growing in them. But it's not the list of things to say, hey, if you want to be in God's kingdom, you've got to do this, and you've got to do this, and you've got to do this, and you've got to do this. These are descriptors of what it means to be in the kingdom of God. We see that those people who are in the kingdom of God are poor in spirit and know they cannot do anything on their own to make themselves right before God, and that's because of sin. And so we mourn, as the second beatitude says, we mourn over our sin. We are meek in the sense and humble in the sense that we're not trying to go and obtain it through our own power. And when we realize that we can obtain it through our own power, we hunger and thirst for the righteousness that it takes to be part of God's kingdom. And we know that God gives it to us, we're going to see today, because He is merciful and He has showed us mercy. And we know that we have his mercy, that we have received his mercy if we are merciful to other people. So we're going to see that this morning. And so our first point, and it's just the first half of the Beatitude, is blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are those people who actually show mercy. Now when we talk about mercy, my first thought is the game where you interlock fingers on the hands and you try to see which one, you know, sometimes you maybe call it uncle, right, or mercy. And mercy is please don't hurt me right? And in a sense, that's kind of what mercy is. See, um, I know Tokoa looked up a definition, and mine was pretty similar. It's compassion or forgiveness shown towards someone. And they go on to say, and this is true in some instances, shown to someone whom it is within one's power to punish or harm. So in that moment when someone's doing turning your hands like this, you know, you feel like they're going to break your wrist maybe, and you're crying out for mercy. Show me mercy. The idea and the word that's underlying in the Greek, I won't go into all of that this morning, but it really just means that it's beneficial. To be merciful is to be beneficial, charitable towards someone. Now, it's easy to get grace and mercy mixed up, and there's things about grace and mercy that overlap and they work together. But, the reality of it is, the grace and mercy are different. Martin Lloyd-Jones, one of the, in my opinion, best preachers of the last century, said this, that grace is especially associated with men in their sins, and mercy is especially associated with men in their misery. Grace looks down upon sin as a whole, and mercy looks especially upon the miserable consequences of sin. This morning we're going to consider the fact that there are some very real and miserable consequences that come as a result of sin. Amen? If you've been living in this world, you know that there are some miserable consequences of sin that exist in this broken world. And we believe that because we believe in what's called the doctrine of the fall. The doctrine of the fall uh, is not has anything to do with autumn, right? But it's the fall of humanity from their place uh, of right relationship with God through sin that happened in the Garden of Eden, with Adam and Eve, where they disobeyed God. And now because of that, everything in this world is tainted by sin. And out of that comes suffering and death and despair. But we as Christians have a call to be merciful and to do what we can to relieve the consequences of the fall, to relieve the consequences of sin. But why? Why? So what does this mean? Because we sure, that's, that's all well and good. about every single religion says you need to be nice to other people at least on some level, right? even, even belief systems that have nothing to do with any kind of deistic, any, any view of God whatsoever, no matter what they call them. All kinds of belief systems say you need to be nice to other people, kind, compassionate, right? But there's something different here for us, because underneath. This command is the God who is Himself merciful. Titus 3, chapter, chapter 3, verses 4 and 5 says, But when the kindness of God our Savior and His love for mankind appeared, He saved us. Not by works of righteousness that we had done, but according to His mercy. Through the washing of regeneration and renewal by the Holy Spirit. See, God has mercy. And the action that he took was according to his mercy. The grace that he shows us which is our undeserved favor. That is him lifting us up whenever we trust in Christ and bringing us into his family. That is him saving us from our sins and forgiving us of our sins. That is grace. Undeserved favor is a better way of talking about or another way of talking about grace. Another way to define it. But why can he show us undeserved favor? We can because he's a God who is merciful when the kindness of God and his love for mankind appeared he saved us so God has had mercy on us and that's the, mercy is the reason that we now show mercy to other people and it's the reason we now show grace and preach grace to others because we know that for all of us we are dead in our sins that's the result and consequence of the fall for us, is that we are dead in our sins and trespasses. There is no way that we can make a relationship right with God again because He is a holy God. That's why He talks about being meek, being humble, two Beatitudes ago. In verse 6, or excuse me, verse 5. If we try and go to get it on our own, we won't get it. We need someone else to do it. And so He sends Christ, His Son, His Son, who comes and saves us. He shows us kindness and compassion to the point of dying on the cross for us to pay the penalty, to pay the fine, the fee, whatever you want to call it, to pay that debt that you cannot pay and that I cannot pay. And so He pays that debt because of His mercy. And that's what teaches us what mercy is. It leads to us having mercy for other people. Now, my question for you is this. As you think about all this, do you have a sense of sorrow for all who suffer under the effects of sin? There's many people, well, I don't say many, every single person suffers under the effects of sin in some way. If your body is unwell, you are suffering under the effects of sin. If your mind is unwell, you are suffering under the effects of sin and the fall If your marriage is not going right, it's because this world is broken because of sin. When people die and you look at it and you say, how could this person die? It's a result of the fall. The question is, when you look out, what is your response to those things? Frustration? Disgust? When people don't do the things they should? Or is it sorrow? An even greater question I want you to ponder as we move forward is, Do you feel a sense of sorrow for those who suffer in slavery to sin? Because, see, all of us have these effects where we're sick, where people die, where things don't go like they should. But another effect of the fall is the fact that all of us who are in Adam, all of us who are descended from him, and I'll give you a hint if you're sitting here and listening to me, that's you, that all of us either were or are now under slavery to sin. The question for us, though, is do we have that sense of sorrow over that? And if so, are we doing anything about it? And if not, it really should concern you and me, because God says, blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. So blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. Now, as we consider this, I want us to think about it for a second. Because, see, it almost sounds like if you are merciful, then you will receive mercy. And I mean, th- that is what it's saying, right? If you're merciful, you're going to receive mercy. It kind of has a similar ring to what's going to come up later in the next chapter of the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 6, 15, as he finishes up the Lord's Prayer. As Jesus gives that prayer, he talks about forgiving our trespasses if we forgive those who trespass against us. And he says that if you forgive others, you will be forgiven your sin. This creates a rub, right? Because we know that we believe in salvation by grace through faith. But if I'm only shown mercy because I'm merciful, well, all of a sudden that feels like works. So what does that mean for me? Does that mean that I have to do enough merciful things to make God pleased with me so that then He will show me mercy? Does that mean I have to forgive so many people? That I have to forgive every single person that I should forgive? That way He will forgive me? I'll tell us this morning, if we just take this here, if we just do this thing called atomizing scripture, A-T-O-M, to atomize it, to make it as small as we can, someone could easily take this and rip it out of the context and say, yes, that is all you have to do. Just be good, be nice, and then God will do that for you. But if we zoom out and consider all of God's word, we see that to take this And to not filter it through and let Scripture interpret Scripture, which is such an important thing. If you are doing Bible study in a way where Scripture is not interpreting Scripture, then you're missing a lot. But when Scripture interprets Scripture, we understand that to atomize this, to make it and just zoom in right here on that little section and say, well, you have to be merciful, that way God will see fit to to show you mercy, is to make something that doesn't square with the rest of Scripture. Because if it were true, then no one could be forgiven. Because I'm going to tell you the honest truth. You and I know that you have not forgiven perfectly, right? That there are still times when you look back on situations and you still hold it against people. And we're trying to work on that and we're trying to love folks, but we're just imperfect at it. We know there are times that we do not show mercy, grace, goodness, kindness to others like we should. We should. And so if all that's true, there's no such thing as salvation by grace through faith, which is what makes us Protestant. This gives us a picture, though, of what it means to examine ourselves. We need to understand this and say that maybe we need to examine ourselves and come to an understanding of what our main idea is, that the disciples show mercy because they know mercy. Here's the thing. One day, we're going to get to eternity. We're going to stand before God at the judgment, And He will show mercy to us on that day. He will show forgiveness to us on that day. If He's shown forgiveness and mercy to us in the past. Now the thing that happens in the middle is where we show mercy. Where we show forgiveness. And the reality of it is that if we have experienced God's grace and forgiveness, if we've experienced His mercy, if we have experienced His his love for us, it leads to us loving people. It leads to us forgiving people. It leads to us... Showing mercy. And because of that, we can have confidence that one day when we stand before Him, we will receive mercy. But see, all of this is not rooted then in the act of being merciful. Because we know that you cannot be merciful enough. Never can you be merciful enough. Never can you be forgiving enough. Because you know your own heart. And if you don't, then you're probably just lying to yourself. Or or at least you figured out way more than I have if you've mastered all these things. See, we will know, or we will show mercy and have the hope of mercy to come in the future because we've received God's mercy in the past and it has changed us. But if we don't show mercy, the flip side of that is that we probably don't know mercy. Because see, if we really are poor in spirit, as he said here, then we realize how much of a sinner that we are And because of that, we mourn over our sin and grasp how that sin offends and separates us from a God who is completely holy. If we're truly meek, we know that our power, nothing we can do can secure our inheritance. But then we have to be meek and humble, as it says, and then we'll inherit the earth. If we're truly hungering and thirsting for righteousness that is apart from us, then we know how great a sinner we are because we can't achieve that that righteousness on our own. And we have to hunger and thirst for it until Christ brings it about. And if that is the case, then you know how great a sinner you are. And you can say with Paul when he says this, this saying is trustworthy and it's deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And I am the worst of them. This is the gospel. This is the truth that you and I are the worst of them. If you, in your mind, are not the greatest sinner that you know, you need to have your prescription checked because you're not seeing yourself rightly. We've seen numerous times where Paul gives his resume. In Philippians 3, we've seen it a number of times. All the things that he could count for himself. But then here in 1 Timothy, he says, I'm the worst of all sinners. That's important for us to understand, because for us, if we don't understand that, our mercy is going to be skewed. The amount of mercy we're going to show, who we're going to show it to, is going to be skewed. So for us, we know that we are sinners, and we are called to show mercy because we have received mercy. Now, I want to share a few caveats on this. Because for a lot of us, we we hear mercy, and we think certain things things it's really easy for us to think about mercy as just saying okay so do whatever you want I look at somebody and say do whatever you want and here's the thing we've been called to love people in spite of what they do and the things they have done because that's what God has done for you but we have to understand this that mercy is not winking at sin it's not saying well I'm going to just pretend that didn't happen well I'm not going to worry about that Because here's what we have to understand, that's not what God did. Mercy is God's response to him not turning a blind eye to sin. Mercy is him dealing rightly with it. And we see that he did that on the cross through Christ. But so often for us, we want to show mercy in a way that the world wants to show mercy. Because so often, if you remember what you were like and and, and what your heart wanted to do, you wanted just to say, well, we're just going to forget about all of that without anything happening, without anything being done. And a lot of times, though, we look at God's way in the world, especially looks at God's way of doing things, and in our human wisdom, we say, well, that I don't know about that, that just seems unmerciful. And what we end up doing is we end up questioning His mercy, because we don't search out the Scripture to say, if God is the most merciful of all beings, how does He handle things? Sorry about that. How does he handle these issues? How does he handle our sin? See, there's times where we have things like accountability within the church. And for a lot of people, we feel like to be accountable to those folks who God has put us in community with is to be mean and hateful for us to look at someone and say, listen, your life is not matching up with your profession. And we say, well, that's just not merciful. When really that's the way that God... To set it up. When we see the call to examine ourselves and see if we're really in the faith, as we're told numerous times, and to encourage others to examine themselves and see if they are truly in the faith, we see that as just mean and hateful. And what we end up doing, actually, is setting ourselves up to be more merciful than God. And if you think that you're more merciful than God, you're in a very dangerous place because we cannot out-mercy our God. We speak poorly. We pull down our God to our level whenever we say, I know that He says we should do this, and I know that He says we should do that, and His law is about this, but I just don't think we can do it that way. Because what that really means is that we may not believe that His word is true. So I want to say again, as I'm getting these caveats here to understand, that mercy is not merely winking at sin. Because our God doesn't, do that but instead he dealt with it rightly through Christ and if we understand that mercy is alleviating the results and the consequences of sin we will know that we need to show mercy in some different ways so the two ways we think about the way that sin has affected the world is the physical way and the spiritual way church we have been called to alleviate the physical results of sin Unfortunately, some people take this and make it everything. At the end of the 19th century and the first half of the 20th century, and even now, the echoes of it still exist in the West and the church in the West. But there's a thing called the social gospel. And it made this the entirety of the gospel, alleviating the physical results of sin we have to understand that this is not the fullness of the gospel. This is the outflow of the gospel. This is the reality of how we have been changed. We need to live this way. And we as a church have been called to do these things, to care for the poor and needy, both on the inside of the church and on the outside of the church, to provide homes for people, food for people, medicine for people, job training for people, ways to alleviate the results of the fall, to be reversing those results and to be showing God's kingdom here on the earth. And it it's so incredibly important that we do this. And a question we should always be asking is, are we doing this? Are we alleviating the results of the fall? but more importantly, because it lasts into eternity, is alleviating the spiritual results of the fall, the spiritual results of sin. And the only way for us to do this is to share the gospel with others, to take the gospel to individuals here in our homes, in our work, in our county, in our country, and to the nations. Letting people know there is good news for them. It's discipling those who have come to know Christ, who remain in the flesh and have the consequences of the fall still remaining in in their fleshly selves. And it's taking those people and showing them what it means to follow Jesus. But we must understand the most unmerciful thing that we can ever do is to look at someone and to not truly deal with their sin. If you went to see a doctor, and I, I think I used a similar analogy, A couple weeks ago, but if you went to a doctor who didn't want to trouble your conscience, they did not want to trouble your mind, they wanted you to go away and just feel okay, looked at you and knowing that you had cancer, knowing that you were eat up with it, but knowing that they had the treatment for it, gave you an antibiotic, gave you an ibuprofen, gave you some Tums, whatever it is, and said, okay, go and feel better. What kind of love does that doctor have for you? What kind of care and concern do they have for your body? The prophet Jeremiah spoke of those who were teaching about God's word and who were leading the people, and it says this, they have treated superficially the brokenness of my dear people, claiming peace, peace, when there is no peace. Church, in our individual workings and our workings as a church body, we may never, should never say peace, peace between you and God where there is no peace. Where someone comes and says, I've sat in church. I have a history here. I have family here. I give. I do all kinds of things. I go on mission trips. And we look at them and we say, oh, good, peace, peace. All that we are doing is superficially treating their brokenness when we have the only thing that can give them true peace. And that's the difference between the world's mercy and our mercy is the world's mercy says they're there, peace, peace. And God's mercy says, I will alleviate, not just alleviate, but deal with fully and finally the consequences of sin, the problem of sin. I hope, Christian, that you realize that you've received mercy and that you were in quite a miserable state. That you were at a place where you were foolish in your denial of God because of the results of sin. And that you realize just how great the mercy that God showed you was. That he showed you a kindness that was not at all necessary on his part. But Christian, I hope that what that means is that it leads you to showing mercy to others. That it leads you showing loving kindness to those people who you find yourself surrounded by every day, and if not, you must examine yourself, because he says, "Blessed are those who are merciful, for they will receive mercy." And if your life is marked by a lack of mercy, the question is, have you known it in the past, and will you know it in the future? Anybody can show mercy to someone who's just like them. And here's the thing that really gets down to. For a lot of us, we surround ourselves with people in our church. And even within our church, we surround ourselves with people in our group who are just like us in so many ways. And it's easy for us to show them mercy. People we've known our whole life. People who think like we do and act like we do. Who have families like we do. And for a lot of us, we show mercy to them. But the question is, do you show mercy to those who are so different than you? And you have to understand and remember, the difference between you and the person who you struggle to show mercy to is minuscule, a centimeter. And the difference between you and the God who is perfect and shows perfect mercy to you is from here to the other side of the universe. So great is the love shown by God to you in spite of the differences there. How could we ever look at any human being, any image bearer of God, and say, I just don't know if I can show mercy to them. We will do this when we understand that we don't deserve it. And that's at the crux of all this, is that mercy is something we don't deserve. There was a young mother once who approached Napoleon. You guys know Napoleon, Right? seeking a pardon for her son. And the emperor replied that the young man had committed a certain offense and he had actually done it twice. And he demanded death for justice. She said, but I don't ask for justice. The mother explained, I plead for mercy. And Napoleon replied, but your son doesn't deserve mercy. And the woman responded to him, sir, it would not be mercy if he deserved it. And mercy is all I ask for. Well, then Napoleon said, I will have mercy. And he spared the, young, or the woman's young son. You don't deserve the mercy God has given you. The people around you don't deserve the mercy you're going to show them. They've probably sinned against you. They've been mean to you. They've probably talked about you behind your back. They do things all the time that says, does not deserve mercy. But neither do you. And that's going to change the way that we think about these things. Finally, if you're here this morning and you're not a follower of Jesus, you're not a believer, you're someone who maybe thinks he's a good teacher, you're someone who who likes the idea of Jesus, but you've never actually said, he is God and I will submit my life to him because he died on the cross to save me from my sins. My plea to you this morning is this, are you willing to acknowledge God's mercy and to act upon it? Would you recognize that there is mercy now for you? God's mercy is here, but there is wrath and judgment that is going to come, but now there is mercy. You can come to Christ today while His mercy is still in effect, while His arms are open wide and saying, Come, because I am merciful and I will give you grace. You can turn to Christ today because He is merciful. Let's pray. Lord, there's much to say about this topic, but we understand this morning that true disciples are going to show mercy because true disciples know mercy. Lord, to the degree to which you have showed us mercy, which is infinitely, would you empower us by your Holy Spirit to show mercy to those people who are out in the world lost and suffering the consequences? and the results of this broken world. Lord, would you help us to show mercy to the people on the inside of this church who though changed by you and maybe in Christ, still fallible humans who are going to mess up and who don't deserve it. But God, may the front of our minds always be the fact that we are undeserving of mercy. And may it lead to our merciful response to those people. And Lord, to the one who is here this morning or the ones who are here this morning, and have not realized the reality of your mercy, maybe until just now, or maybe they don't even realize it now. By your Spirit, would you draw them? Would you help them to realize that they are poor in spirit, that they should mourn their sin, that they can't do anything to inherit your salvation on their own, and that they need to hunger and thirst for righteousness? Would you draw them to yourself? May they see with fresh eyes the reality of your great mercy shown to them through Christ. And we pray this in your name and for your glory. Amen.